It's great to see you all on this special Mother's Day. Thank you for guests who may be here today who you're here with your family and said, I'll come, we'll all share a row together. My lovely daughter, Caressa, here on the front row. Hi. She's my favorite. Uh, I, have, I have three children. The other two are not here. She is here. She is my favorite. Okay. So just wanted her and you all to know that. So amen. On this Mother's Day, I was thinking about, I had a, I had a friend who was going in to be a, um, a police officer, and he was asked questions, he was just in training, he was asked questions like, like if you, seriously, if you pulled over your best friend for speeding, would you give him a ticket? He said, I know I failed their answers because I said no, because he wouldn't. He said, well, what if you, what if your, your mom broke the law, would you? Would you give her a ticket for speeding? He said, no, I would not. So he went through all that, and uh, he never did get to be a police officer. <laughs> but we have a police officer in, in the house, Chris Lockman, who's a state trooper. And uh, how long's Chris been a, a trooper? Twelve years. When he was in training, not yet a trooper, they were asking him questions like that. And they said, if for some reason there was a situation where you had to arrest your mother, what's the first thing you would do? And he said, call for backup. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so that's wise thinking. Moms are tough. I read about this little boy. He's about five years old, and, and uh, his mama, they were going to have a baby, and he was all excited, and, and um, he was at school all the time telling them about this I'm going to have a new baby brother, new baby sister. I'm going to have a new baby brother, new baby sister. And that's all they heard about. And then one day, Mama came by to him and said, Hey, I just want you to feel this. The baby had gotten bigger. And he put uh, his hand on her belly. And he felt the baby kicking around and moving around. It kind of alarmed him a little bit. And he quit talking about the baby at school. And so one day, the teacher said, You always talked about this new baby brother, baby sister was coming. He said, said, what happened? And he began to weep, and he said, I think mommy ate him. Um, and so sometimes as parents, we had to be careful how we, you know, we got to realize. I was talking to like a little three-year-old one time, and, and uh, I said, um, they weren't responding. You know, they're just like staring at me. I said, what's the problem? Cat got your tongue? And the little kid stuck out his tongue and looked really hard. I thought, oh, that's true. It was a three-year-old. I mean, he wasn't aware of, what are you saying? No, I don't think a cat has my tongue. Let me stick it out and see. So sometimes in parenting, uh, we have to be careful about all that. I happen to have a great mother. She is a wonderful, godly woman. Loved her dearly. She went on to be with the Lord back, uh, man, time flies, probably going on 20 years ago. It's hard to believe that. Darlene had a great mother as well. She went on to be with the Lord maybe 25 years ago. Again, time, time keeps flying. Darlene's a great mama. The Bible says, amen, amen, she's a good physical and spiritual mama as well. And the Bible says in Proverbs, here's something for you men, I remind you of this regularly on Mother's Day. The Bible says that her children will rise and call her blessed, and her husband also. Now, as men are noted to not be good about talking, but I can tell you this, you get a foursome of guys on the golf course, we're talking nonstop, so I don't know how we claim we don't talk. And so it says that he also will say to her, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. 
And so if you wonder, I, every time I read this, I find the Bible funny. I believe God's got a sense of humor. I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that honestly. And so I'm thinking, here's this guy saying, I don't know what to say to my wife. And he says, and her husband will rise up also and say to her, in case you don't know what to say, many women do noble, incredible, wonderful things, but you, honey, you surpass them all. So you can find that in Proverbs, whatever the last chapter, 31, is it? Proverbs 31. And you'll find your little cheat sheet where God told you what to say to your wife, okay? Now, before we move on, I just thought we would watch this little video. So let's, let's look at this Mother's Day video. I'm so bored. I wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look. An empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed, you're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull on our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're gonna be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Ah! Fight, fight, fight! Ah! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. Does somebody want to come use the bathroom while I'm in here? We, we love you, Mom, so happy Mother's Day to you all. And we're going to talk about something today that no mother needs, but us guys need it, so we'll, we'll deal with it today. We're going to look at the topic of discipline. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a lot of things that I, I hope are transformational to you. They've really been helpful to me. We've looked at, at uh, the hard work of prayer. Prayer takes a little energy and effort to, to dive into, and that's okay. There's a wonderful reward I forgot to mention on prayer. The Bible says that when you set aside some time to pray privately with the Lord, he says, God sees in secret what you do, and guess what? He will reward you openly. That's a beautiful promise to prayer. We talk about the hard work of the Word. We work to get the Word of God in us. But once we get the Word of God in us, it works really hard for us. We talked about 
uncovering our identity and who we are in Christ. And I hope we're all working on that, seeing who we are in Christ, understanding more clearly how he sees us. And as we do these things, they transform our lives. The, the word of God just gets in our, our mind with, by put, us putting it there. And it says it renews our minds, so we start to think differently. And as we start to think differently, we become transformed. And as we become transformed, it spills out into all areas of our life. God actually is concerned about your whole person. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about that. May, may the God of peace he sanctify you and keep you in your spirit, your soul, and your body, your whole being. God's concerned about your whole being, so it spills over into everything. As our lives begin to get transformed, it is helpful at work, at school, at home, at play, in our relationships, in our marriages, our homes. It's good for our mental health and emotional health and physical health and spiritual health. All those things happen as the Word of God begins to transform us. But we do put the Word of God in us. The transformational process is that we have to put the Word in us and then practice doing the Word. There's nothing just... I mean, you put a Bible underneath your pillow and it doesn't just get in there through osmosis and all of a sudden you find, man, I'm just a big believer and doer of the Word of God. We practice putting it into effect in our lives. So we talk about this topic every now and then. We probably always will because the topic we all need to grow in, and that's discipline. So we're going to talk about the power of discipline today. The power of discipline. But I want to change the way we think about discipline because I want to get rid of an old mindset and see what discipline really is because most people, when they think of discipline, think of punishment and probably some spankings you got when you were growing up that that's what discipline is. And so we think about God which is our thoughts about him are often erroneous. We think he's mad, he's angry at us, he's always out to get us. Not true. God loves us. We just saw last week that in his love, he no longer rebukes us, but rejoices over us with singing. That's what the Bible says, you know. So I don't want to believe what somebody else says God's like. I like to hear what God says he's like. And in, in his love, he no longer rebukes us. He rejoices over us with, with singing. And so as we begin to understand how God is and who he is, all that begins to transform our lives. And so he's not saying, I'm mad at you, I'm upset. Go out in the yard and cut me off a good switch. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you uh, ever heard that growing up, go get me a switch? Okay. My, my mom never used a switch. My mom was... There was never wait till dad gets home. She was more than capable of taking care of it. So uh, she would take care of it uh, with a belt. Uh, now, I know it's alarming to people, but most of the spankings we got really didn't hurt except our hearts. They didn't hurt us physically, so we were never beaten or abused. But she had a, a belt. I still remember it was hanging on the cellar door, and when she would whip it off of there, it would jingle, and so we knew we were all getting swatted. Plus, she had a, a, a system that if I spank everyone, there's three of us boys, if I spank everyone, I know I got the guilty one. And so that was her theory, and that's how it happened. It didn't matter. I remember one time my brother, he was actually a pretty accomplished pianist, but most people didn't know that about him. Um, he was playing the piano, and, and Tony and I got in the scuff. And, and you know, you just need to know this. I need to say this every time. It was not my fault. Okay, Tony was a troublemaker, and so Tony probably started the whole thing. We got in the fight. Mom comes in. My brother just got done playing the piano and walked into the room. We all three get spanked. He said, I was just playing the piano. And she said, oh, yeah, it is true. Sorry, but, you know, hey, that's the way it rolls. So, uh, so we think God's mad. He's going to spank us. He's going to get, and that's what punishment is. But that's not actually what punishment is. 
The Bible, the New Testament, the Christian scriptures were written primarily in Greek and in a little bit of Aramaic. And most of us here, I'm going to assume, are not fluent in reading and talking and writing Greek or Aramaic. So the New Testament is translated into English, so you and I could read it and understand it. The Greek word for discipline is padia, and padia uh, means to, um, to educate or to train. It means training and education of children, hence instruction, chastisement. Now, chastisement is a, is a harsh correction, so it can be harsh at times. Instruction, chastisement, or correction. That's what discipline is. There's nothing in there about spanking. It's about uh, discipline. In fact, in uh, the Message Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, just kind of a modern translation of it, it says this, Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. So don't be a dropout in the school of the Holy Spirit. Don't be a dropout in the school of the Word of God. Never drop out. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. The uh, guy who did the message is actually using a more correct description of what discipline is, education, what we just read. He is treating you as dear children. The trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training the normal experience of children. So, Let's understand the concept from the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. So how much discipline seems pleasant? None. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But rather, what? Painful. So I just want you to get that so you'll get excited about discipline. None of it's pleasant. All seems painful. Later on, however, in the future, however, it produced a harvest of righteousness. Now, I want us to look at righteousness just quickly. I want, I want you to log this in your mind. It's not a, not a perfect and, and full definition at all. But righteousness is such a churchy, religious-sounding word that I don't think most people really think about what righteousness is. I want you to think about righteousness as right living. Right living as God says right living. Not as the culture says. You know, culture's always got an idea about, you know, how to live. And if it disagrees with the word of God, guess what? The culture's wrong. God's right. So, right living and peace for those who've been trained by it. So, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. So, it, think, of, think of discipline and God dealing with us. First of all, God's a great parent. So, he's dealing with us and teaching us as a parent. He also, think of... of uh, the people in your life who were coaches or were teachers. If you had a coach that said, hey, you're a wonderful athlete, but you're not doing well shooting free throws. Your percentage is 58%. We want to get it up close to 80. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to come in a half hour early every day of practice and stay a half hour, hour later, and you're going to shoot free throws. That doesn't seem pleasant. It seems painful. Everybody else gets to come in later. Everybody else is gone, but the coach is hanging out with you shooting free throws because he's coaching you. Now, it's painful at the moment, but later on, it's going to help you. You got a teacher. I don't know if they still do this. Teachers, are, do, do grade school kids still get recesses? Okay. Well, we used to get, we had three when I was growing up, because I think they said, get rid of these kids for a little bit so their sanity could come back, and then they could deal with us again. But what would happen was, what would happen if a teacher said this, hey, 
you aren't doing well in your times tables, in your math. So here's what we're going to do. This week, you don't get to go to recess at all. You and I are going to stay in and work on your times tables. Does that seem pleasant to a kid? No, it seems painful. But we never think about it like this. But trust me, I guarantee you the teacher doesn't feel like sitting in there every recess teaching the kid too because the teacher says I could relax for a minute or grade papers or work on a lesson plan or do something else, but I'm investing my time in this person. Why? Because that's an act of compassion and kindness. And it says you need to understand this stuff. It doesn't seem pleasant. It seems painful. But later on, it produces a harvest. Now, catch that word harvest. Harvest is a big word. If I was walking through an apple orchard and I picked off an apple and ate it, that would give me some, you know, good food to eat. But no one would say, Tracy harvested the apple orchard. I ate one apple. So God's trying to tell you, it's not, you're not just going to get an apple. You're going to get a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us. And so to be trained by it. So I want us to get more of a positive idea of discipline. God's not punishing you. He's not beating you with a stick. He wants to equip you because he wants you to have a great later on. You hear me say this all the time. God's more concerned about you having a great life than a great weekend. And so you may say, well, there's a lot of stuff I could have done over the weekend. But I'll tell you what, just having a great weekend is not what God's after. Jesus said, I came that you might have a rich and satisfying life. So he wants us to have a great life, not just a great evening, a great life. And so we start looking at this idea of being disciplined and trained, and I'm going to guess that most of us here probably do not feel disciplined. I'm going to say most people here don't think of themselves as being disciplined. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I feel like I'm a pretty disciplined person, that's cool. You don't need to feel ashamed of that. That's great. I'm just saying, statistically, there are very few people here in this room, myself included, who feels like I'm a really disciplined person. The truth is, is that you're really a pretty disciplined person. You may say, ah, no, I'm not. No, you really are pretty disciplined. Let me tell you. It took a whole series of discipline for you to be sitting in this room physically right now. You went through all kinds of things you had to do to physically be here. Now, those who are watching online did not put out near the effort, but some people watching online, you know, are watching online because they couldn't be here for physical reasons. Shout out to Pat Dawson, who's watching online, who is in a rehab place, rebuilding her strength. I get that. And some people are on vacation or traveling, and then, you know, sure millions of people are tuning in all over the globe who couldn't be here live. So, praise God, that wasn't true, uh, by the way, because... You're thinking, really? There's millions of people watching all over the globe? Who knows, maybe? Don't crush my fantasy here. So anyway, you were disciplined. You had to decide that being in the house of the Lord was a priority. You had to decide and be disciplined enough to get clothes out, to have clean clothes, to, I hope that most of you were disciplined, to bathe and brush your teeth and do things like that. If you got a family, there's a whole lot of energy that goes into getting the kids ready and getting the kids dressed and getting them, in, getting them fed and getting in the car and driving here and making sure you had gas in the vehicle. There's a whole series of things that you had to go through to be here at church on time. Well, for those of you that were on time. And, uh, and, but you're here. Even if you came late, you're here. You are here. Praise God. 
and you are so much more disciplined than what you realize. You say, why do I feel undisciplined then? Because just like me, you have areas in your life that you're not disciplined in. And we always tend to look at what we don't have, you know, where we're not disciplined, and say, oh my goodness, I have so many things to work on. And you do, and I do, that's okay, but let's work on them. So you may look at yourself and say, I don't think I'm disciplined. I mean, I spend way too much time on social media, you know, looking, liking, lusting, comparing, you know, doing all that stuff. Maybe seriously, you struggle with pornography or other things, getting online, looking at things you shouldn't look at. You're watching mindless TV for hours on end. I know I told on myself, Sean and I one time were watching TV at the house, and I think I've told on myself a couple times, and we were watching something, and I just said, do you ever look at the TV set and say, what a waste of time? He says, all the time. I said, we're watching make-believe lives and make-believe storylines that don't even exist while we're not living our real life. He said, I hear you. And we watched about three more hours of TV after that. It really is true. We just kept watching TV. Like, we had this epiphany, but it's just awful comfortable here just to watch mindless TV. So maybe you struggle with that. You don't exercise. You don't eat right. You don't control your temper. You spend too much money. I mean, if they have assigned a van to your address from Amazon, you are spending way too much money, okay? So maybe that's something you struggle with. Maybe you've got too attached to alcohol or tobacco or vaping or whatever. You just can't seem to let go of it. It's become an addiction or gossip or greed or stinginess, prayerlessness, not being in the Word. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of things that we can look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm really not disciplined. And you can't tackle them all at once. I mean, I might have read that list. You might have said half those things represent me. Well, you can't do them all at once, but you can make forward progression in some of the areas. So... You say, I need to get my act together. I need to deal with this, but I want to remind you of the problem. The problem is, is that in order to get your act together in these areas, it will require discipline. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. When do you ever wake up and say, I wonder if I can think of some unpleasant, painful thing to do today? Nobody thinks like that. But later on, at some point in the future, there's a real harvest for us if we will learn to embrace discipline. When we think about the stuff we've talked about, prayer, the word of God, discovering identity, who we are in Christ, there's something in us, that's why you're here today, there's something in us that says, I want those things. I want to be a person of prayer. I want to be a person of the word. I want to be a person who really knows who I am in Christ. I want to be a person that makes a difference for Jesus. We, we have all that. It's stirring in us. But what we're aiming for when we say I want those things is we know down the core of our being that there's a life that we want most. And the life we want most, being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that life that we want most is often interrupted by what we want now. See, what you want now brings you an immediate return of pleasure, of uh, what I call jazz. You get the jazz for something you want now, and it provides it just like that. And so that's the struggle that we run into. That's okay, because guess what? We got somebody really big living inside us that can help us with this process. 
And so we struggle with what I want most versus what I want now. See, when you do something that you enjoy, whether it's good or bad, some things are good, some things are enjoyable, some things are bad, they're also enjoyable. You say, well, you shouldn't say as a pastor that there's bad, sinful things that are enjoyable, but sin is enjoyable. The Bible says it is. Let me just ask the question. If sin was awful, would people be doing it? No. If sin was horrible, would you ever struggle with it? No. So sin has pleasure for a season, and it will give you what you want now, but it won't give you what you want most. And so that's where the Lord wants to equip us and train us. So you say, well, I'm going to become a person of prayer and a person of the word. Tracy's taught on that. He said, just set aside a little bit of time. You don't have to do it all today. Just make a little progress, inch by inch. Let's go for it. And so you say, I'm going to set my alarm for 10 minutes early. I'm going to set 10 minutes early so I can get them just spend just a little bit of time praying in the word. Well, that sounds good, but when the alarm goes off, what you want now is to hit snooze. And that seems more pleasant to you than getting up 10 minutes early and spending time with the Lord, which is what you want most. Also, I would encourage you, be wise about how you're wired up. Maybe morning's not a good time for you. Maybe it's your lunch hour. Or maybe you go out to the car and, and pray or get in the Word or in the evening or whenever. Just be wise. Maybe getting on the web and shopping brings immediate pleasure. Now, you've probably done that. By the way, there's nothing wrong. It feels good when you buy stuff. Everybody loves to buy stuff, I think, but it's keeping it in control to where it doesn't become an addiction. Darlene and I saw this guy whose house was overrun with stuff. It was like a, one of the, is a modern kind of hoarder's program. And I want to tell you, this home was in a beautiful high-end neighborhood. It was like, I think it says like 4,600 square feet, not counting the huge attic that was up there full of stuff. And he used to entertain, and he used to have family gatherings and Christmases and Thanksgivings there, but his, his shopping got out of control. And pretty soon he turned 4,600 square foot into a hoarding zone. And he racked up $150,000 worth of credit card debt buying stuff. That's not counting probably what he spent out of his savings and checking account. This was just credit card debt he racked up. What he wanted now, the thrill of buying, was sabotaging what he wanted most, which was to get his home back and to be able to fellowship and have gatherings there. Also, was sabotaging his financial security. He had been financially secure in his life, and now he's on the verge, literally, of homelessness because of his buying. They removed 10,000 articles of clothing out of that home. 10,000, not, not 1,000, 10,000 articles of clothing out of that home. And trust me, there's plenty left. 10,000 articles. That's half a Darlene's wardrobe just removed out of that home. The guy had a problem. What he wanted most was getting sabotaged by what he wanted now. And what I want most and what you want most gets sabotaged often by what we want now, that jazz, that high, that I think psychologists call the dopamine hit that you get when you do something that you enjoy that's pleasurable. And it can be good things as well, or it can be bad things. Well, i got a couple pointers that I want to pass along to you that help me. Now, you may say, well, Tracy, you know, have you accomplished everything? Do you, are you disciplined in every area of your life? 
Yes. Um, see, I'm troubled when laughter follows after I say that. So, no, the truth is no. Neither you and neither is anyone on planet Earth, but we want to keep moving forward because we have a life we want most. I don't want what I want now to destroy what I want most. So I want to give you some guidelines that have helped me. And don't forget, you are disciplined in many areas of your life. I am disciplined in many areas of my life. If you watched my routine or Darlene's routine, you'd say they're really disciplined in a lot of areas. I can't tell you, I've mentioned this before, but it is a rare night we go to bed and our kitchen is not spit-shined. That's discipline. You know how often it would be spit-shined if I was in charge? Always. Always. No. It, it's just my... Th- in fact, on rare occasion, I say, honey, I'm going to clean up the kitchen. It takes me like 90 minutes to do, and then she'll go in and do it in like five minutes. And I go, how did you do that? She says, just a system. Got a system. Okay, well, I don't have the system, which is why I graciously allow her to do it, because she has a system. So here's some things that will help you. In Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, Those who watch the wind blow will never sow. Now, it's S-O-W, that's sowing seed, not S-E-W, like sowing a garment with thread. It's sowing seed. And in the old days, they'd prepare some ground. They would reach in a bag, and they'd grab a handful of seed, and they would scatter that seed. That's sowing. Now, we plant now, but there was a time where that was your, your manner of, of uh, getting crops in the ground. You would sow seed. It says, those who watch the wind blow will never sow. Why? Because you think, ah, you know, if I sow today, it's pretty windy, and maybe a bunch of the seed's going to blow over into the woods, and a bunch of it's going to blow over on the rocky stuff, and I won't be able to keep it in my little garden area here, so I'm not going to sow. And then it goes on, it says, and those who observe the clouds will never reap. What, what's he saying? He's saying, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you'll never do anything. You won't get anything done. So, yeah, there may be a day that the rain's horrible and the atmosphere's horrible and the conditions are horrible, and it's not a good day to reap or sow. But you can't just look all the time and say, well, I'm just going to wait till it's perfect because it'll never be perfect. So start where you're at. Here's another one, Zechariah 4.10. God says in Zechariah 4.10, Zechariah is a prophet of God, and the first group of people, I forget, it's like 40 or 50,000 people, are being released from Babylon under the leadership of Cyrus and are allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And that's what's going on here at this. And in Zechariah 4.10 it says, Do not despise these small beginnings. See, today there's something, and I would really encourage you to pick one or two at the most. One or two things that are kind of, mainstays, foundational, keystone habits that, that spiral off into other things that you may need to work on. And when you start working on it, just start small. That's why I'm always discouraged when somebody says, boy, you know, I, I heard your message on prayer. I'm so motivated. I'm going to start getting up every morning for an hour and pray for an hour. And I, I know that 99.99% of people are never going to accomplish that because they've never prayed for five minutes. And they're not a morning person. So now they've set a plan to get up an hour early and pray for a solid hour. I promise you, I know what will happen. In three minutes, they'll run out of stuff to talk to God about. That'll be like I've never really 
tried to pray for an hour. And so don't despise small beginnings. For the Lord, what's the next word? Rejoices, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Zerubbabel. That's just like a fun name to even say, Zerubbabel, you know. Let's just declare the next baby born here will be named Zerubbabel, okay? Because that's just a fun name to say. A plumb line is what's being held over here. It was a string with a weight on it, and, and it would give you something that's true and, and straight up and down. Now, they, we got lasers and, and uh, levels, and they probably had squares back then, something that was squares, because you wanted to get everything to be true and be level. Now, now, I want you to really think about what's being said here. The temple is getting ready to be rebuilt. Zerubbabel is going to get the job done. He's going to head this project. And God says he rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. I want you to get a visual image of this. All that's happened so far is they say they're going to rebuild the temple, but nothing's happened yet. But one day Zerubbabel walks up and grabs the plumb line, which is a tool. In our day, if you plumb plumb line ball. He grabbed the hammer or the laser. He grabbed the, nothing's happened yet, but he took one step towards the work site. And God said, oh, I rejoice to see the work begin. Nothing's happened yet, or has it? The work began. I can tell you, getting started is half done. So, somebody said that, some self-help person years ago, getting started is half done. And man, it is true. I don't know if your garage is like ours, but it tends to get messy. I don't know how it gets messy. It just tends to get messy. And so, you know, we try to keep it in pretty decent shape. And so I've literally said, I need to clean up the garage. And I've walked out into the garage, looked around, and went, ah, forget it. You know, just <laughs> walk back in. I had another strategy one time. Mitch was home. Remember, not my favorite. My favorite down here, Cressa. Uh, if you're watching online, Mitch, you're my favorite. Okay, just want you to know. So anyway, Mitch is sitting around. I said, Mitch, I said, go out and clean the garage, and I'll pay you for it. And he thought for a minute, and he said, yeah, I'm good. I said, okay, well, let me say it a different way. Mitch, go clean the garage. You can get paid for it or not, but you're going to clean the garage. And he said, well, since you put it that way, I guess pay's fine. And so... There's strategies for cleaning that. But I can't tell you how many times I've walked out into the garage and you just look and you go, where are we even going to start? And I go pick up a thing and put it up. And I'm not joking. It's like it's half done. Something happened when you started. Next thing you know, you look around and you say, oh, we got her done. More like I got her done. I mean, that really is true on the garage. It's usually pretty much me. Although Cressa, my favorite, and I did clean out the shed back a couple of years ago, and that was a... That was a chore. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Get started. Get started. Getting started's half done. You got something. I know you have something that you say, I really need some victory in this area. And, and I want to trust you. And I'm not going to preach on this today, so it's just a little side note you'll remember. It'll take the Lord. Whatever we're wanting to do in life, submit it to the Lord. Ask God to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But don't despise that small beginning. Remember me talking about Zig Ziglar being overweight? I forget how many pounds, 40 pounds overweight. He hadn't exercised forever, and he decides he's going to lose weight and be a runner. And his first day of running in a residential neighborhood, not in the country, in a residential neighborhood, he made it to the first mailbox. It's all so about a block. 
but he did not despise small beginnings. Eventually, he could make it to a second mailbox, and eventually to a third one. Then eventually, two to three mailboxes turned into two to three miles he could run because he didn't despise small beginnings. Start somewhere. Everything won't be perfect, but start somewhere. Do something. Now, I've learned this idea over the years. I've stole this from so many different people. Uh, It's not my own idea, but it's an insight that helps me. I want to pass it along to you. I think we need to set goals that we can win every day, that we can win every day. For instance, let me explain that to you. Let's say I say, man, you know what? I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to read the, I'm not saying it's not a noble goal. I'm not even telling you not to set the goal, but I do want to tell you, give you some insight. When I say I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, a year is how many days? 365 days, which means I will not have won until 365 days. So every day I don't feel like I'm winning. I've gone 10 days and 20 days and 50 days and 100 days and 200 days. I still haven't accomplished my goal. And God forbid you get behind because it piles up fast. It takes three and a quarter chapters a day if you start in Genesis to get to Revelation, three and a quarter chapters a day to read through the Bible. But what if you said, I'm going to read a little bit in the Bible every day? That's something you can have a win every day. I, I try to read a chapter every day. Today, when I got up this morning, I didn't read a whole chapter. I thought, man, I didn't read my whole chapter. I like reading a whole chapter. And I said, but you know what? I read the Bible today. And so I decided not to beat myself up or not decide to be late to, to church because I say, well, I've got to read this whole chapter. You know, that's okay. We'll just, we'll go on. There's always tomorrow, but every day can be a win. Now, I want you to see this visually. So I want to throw up this Bible reading calendar. I just want you to see this visually. It was actually on April 30th that I taught, of this year that I taught, set aside a little time every day to read the Bible. Didn't say it had to be one minute, 60 seconds, a sentence, a paragraph, a chapter. I didn't say whatever. And let's say we're at the end of May now, and you actually decided you were going to do that, reading the Bible a little bit every day. Now, again, that's my fantasy that you even remember that I said on April 30th, let's read through the Bible. So on April, in April, you had no Bible reading planned at all, and you weren't reading the Bible at all. So do you see how many days are circled in April? Zero. But you decided that you'll get a calendar and you'll circle every day that you read the Bible. Didn't say a chapter or three chapters, you just read some of the Bible. And you started circling every day you read the Bible. Now, let me ask the question, which month is more successful reading the Bible? May. I don't know. Can you all see the circles okay? If you you notice when you look at May, did you read the Bible every day? You did not. But you sure read a whole lot more than you did in April. In fact, I noticed that over Labor or Memorial Weekend, You were so lazy, probably at the track or something, the 27th, 28th, 29th, you didn't read any at all. But then you picked it up on 30 and 31. Now, there's about 10 days, I think, up there that you didn't read the Bible. So, if I had a read-through-the-Bible plan in a year, I missed 10 days. Take 3 times 10, because you've got to read at least three about three and a quarter chapters a day to get through the Bible. I'm 30 chapters behind. 
Now, when I get to June 1st, and I say I want to catch up, I have to read 33 chapters to catch up. I'm telling you what 90% of the people do on June 1st, they give up. They say, I know, so, I, man, that's, I'm 30 chapters behind. If I miss five more days in June, then I'm further behind than that. And so then they give up. And what ends up happening is their Bible reading starts looking like April again. None. But it's easy if you say, I'm just going to read the Bible every day, that if you miss a day or two to just get back up, dust yourself off, and go on. You don't have this sense of, I got 10 chapters to read and 20 chapters to read and 30 to catch up. You're just reading the word of God every day. So I put this up for a slide. I've decided to turn it into a slide. Don't look for perfection. Shoot for consistency. Don't look for perfection. Shoot for consistency. So whatever it is, this applies to anything. This doesn't even have to be a spiritual thing. But of course, my passion and ours for being here today is to move forward spiritually. So don't shoot for perfection, but shoot for consistency. If you do that, I promise you, you will gain so much more ground with the approach of shooting for consistency, although it's not perfect. Because when it's not perfect, this is something I struggle with. I have kind of an all or nothing uh, mentality when it comes to moving forward in a goal. And I have to fight that because I'll just say, I'd be the guy who says, it's too late now, I just won't read the Bible. Like I'm the person that if on Friday, I've been watching my eating, if on Friday we go out on a date and I overeat, <clears throat> then I overeat on Saturday and Sunday and Monday and the rest of the month and and it's like, oh, you know. So we've got to fight the all or nothing to say, okay, hey, I ate improperly. I ate wrong on Friday. You get up, dust yourself off, and you go back looking for consistency, not for perfection. This works for losing weight, saving money, building better marriages or friendships, keeping the house clean, growing in your walk with God. This applies to anything. And so we shoot for activities that move us forward every day and feels like a win every day. When we do that, we end up enjoying what we want most and not just what we want now. Now here's the goal that we shoot for. Remember I talked about that we all move from discipline to desire to delight? When you make that move, what ends up happening is ultimately you'll get to a place, and here's where it becomes, this is money, man. This is where it really works. All of a sudden what happens is You've moved from discipline to desire to delight. Now you delight in the word of God. And so what you want now and what you want most come together. And oh my goodness, that's where real change happens. And that starts happening if you'll shoot for consistency instead of I've got to do everything perfect. Who's done anything ever perfect other than Jesus? I'm serious about that. No one. I'm not saying don't shoot for it, but I'm saying... Get yourself, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move on. A righteous person falls seven times but rises again. You dust yourself off and you go on. So, what we want most and what we want now kind of merge together, and that's where change happens. This truth, which is from Scripture, Sometimes I'm troubled because Scripture will help you in all areas of life. And you teach something like this, people say, well, that's just a self-help message. God's Word will help self. Now, I don't mean sinful self, but it will help you. 
and inequality enduring principle that's ever been taught by this world came from the word of God. Every, every, any of any value came from the word of God. These biblical truths will change my life, your life, if. Do you know how many times there's an if in the Bible? If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the fat of the land. If you do the word of God and don't just listen to it, if you put it into practice, you'll be blessed in all your deeds. If, if, now, it's not about going to heaven or not, but it's about getting the reward of what the scripture's promising. So if you begin to practice this today and put it into practice, don't look for perfection. Don't wait for everything to be right. Don't despise small beginnings. When you don't get it right, just dust yourself off and go on. Pick yourself up. It's okay. The world won't crash to an end. Just start all over again. To steal another Zig Ziglar line, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. But yard by yard, it's hard. So start small. Don't wait for everything to be perfect and put it into practice. And if you do that, I promise you, it'll transform your life. And now another thing you can do is just keep learning on this because we have a tendency, honestly, in a few days to forget 90% of what you've heard. This will be online. You can listen to it over and over and over again. You can get good material that you can, by Christians, I really suggest by Christians who teach you principles like this from the Word of God. And you can read their books or listen to their podcasts or whatever and keep putting this kind of truth into your mind and it will transform you. So I know this. I have some areas of my life that I want to grow in and change. I bet you have some that you want to grow in and change. And today is the perfect day to start because God's a very now God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, guess what God says? God says, today is the day of salvation. God's word says, now is the appointed time. I think that applies to all kinds of things, but surely to your salvation, do not put off your walk with God. Do not say, well, I'll, I'll do it some other time. Well, why? Why would you do it some other time? He's awesome. He's amazing. You, you want him now. And any transformation I've ever made in my life Again, I know there's people who are super self-disciplined. Any transformation I've ever made in my life was totally the help of God. And so we need his help to overcome and to be everything he's called us to be. So let's pray together.